This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 539 for December 21st, 2016. Folks, it's the bottom of the year, and it's the bottom of my voice. This is Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and this is the Macworld Podcast. Uh, you're uh, you're uh, joining me with my very deep voice, my bottom of the year, very white voice today, and Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hey, Glenn, you sound like Lego Batman. Well, oh, well, I am the, <laughs> I can't remember, I don't know what he says, I am the... I am the. What does he say? I don't even remember. What does that I man say? I am either. the something at night. I am the. I am the guy who does the thing. Um, yeah. Well, I, I work in a basement, so it's appropriate that I've got a basement voice at the end of the year. See if I can make your kind of make your stereos rumble, folks. Um, well, uh, Susie and I were just talking about spoilers, and we're not going to give you any spoilers about Rogue One or anything else. We have some spoilers about upcoming Apple products potentially. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But, uh, yeah, I haven't seen Rogue One yet, and you have not seen Rogue One yet either, right? Yes, I did. I saw Rogue One. Oh, you did see Rogue One. Oh, I'm sorry. You saw So, And you were worried about spoiling, and I, I, I pre-spoil myself because if I know I can't see a movie for a while, I feel like I'm spending too much time avoiding hearing anything about it, and it's sort of frustrating. So I just, I'll just find out what the plot is because if I'm going to see it right away, like if I know I can see it within the opening week, I will try to avoid reviews and things like that. But if I know it's going to be a few weeks or I'm not, you know, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing Rogue One, but I think it's the movie that's exciting, not some particular plot point that won't be revealed. So how'd you like it? It was really good. I really liked it. I had a couple of uh, nerdy quibbles with it, but, um, and I can say one of them without spoiling anything, Uh, which is worst Darth Vader costume ever. Oh no. I'm like, you guys have all the Darth Vader suits. Why didn't you get him a better looking one than that? Like, it looks, I saw three better ones than that on Halloween. Like, there's something oh. weird going on with his neck. It was very distracting. One of those were beta suits because, you know, it wasn't, it was a little bit later that we see him in New Hope. So maybe, uh, maybe that was it. They were trying to beta suits. To heard, show that it was, uh, the suit was in beta at that point. But I heard a was, lot of people putting this as their number three or number four. Star Trek or Star Trek Star Wars. I'm such a. I'm such it's a. It's definitely Warsy. my number three Star Trek movie oh, for the sure. Three Star Trek movie. Um, right. I haven't seen uh, too many Star Trek movies. There are. It's but a, I'm a the, big Star Wars nerd. Um, I yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to rank them yet. I think I need to see it again. But it was a very good Star Wars. I mean, people have so much hope for these because so the originals were like perfect, but also like with, you know, some like kind of wooden acting and some like 70s-tastic effects, but like that didn't matter. They were still perfect. And then the sequels, I mean, like the prequels pumped up the effects, but had like just terrible acting. And everyone was really like now we're finally going to get get good stuff. Like it's going to be good characters, good acting, good dialogue, and the good everything. And they they're a lot better. So, yeah, I thought The Force Awakens was great. And it was like, yeah, everyone's like, oh, it was such a retread. But it was sort of the retread that we needed to kind of be like, look, it's going to be okay. Like, we know what we're doing now. <laughs> um, and then this one was really good. It was a cool story. And it was like you knew how it was going to end. But then it was like the ending was very well done. It was very frantic and like a lot of emotion. So, I, yeah, I really liked it. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I thought it was a really good movie. I want to see it again. I, w- I had to go to see if it was going to be too dark for my son, who's yeah. five, and he loves the trailers. Um, a lot of stuff that was in the trailers isn't in the movie, which That's is what I heard. There was like um, this not complete, not overlap, but there was very little. I, 
I noticed a few things, like a couple of my favorite things from the trailers, and then I went and looked around online, and I found someone had made a list of like 13 different things that were in the trailers that weren't in the movie. So that was a little weird. But anyway, like that didn't matter. Still a good movie and um, way too dark for my son. Like there's no way he's going to see that for a while. So sorry, bud. (laughs) (laughs) My children are uh, highly attenuated to uh, things that cause anxiety. So my nine-year-old... Um, I can't. We managed to get him to watch Harry Potter one. He's read all the books like seven times. We got him to watch Harry Potter one this summer on a very hot day where we put air conditioning in one room <laughs> because we don't have housewide air conditioning and we set up a TV to watch it. Um, but I can't even get him to watch Harry Potter two. So he'll get there. My older son is a little more uh, interested. We finally, I'm getting through the original Star Wars, the only Star Wars trilogy uh, with my older son, but we're going very slowly. I'm taking him through. Uh, Lord of the Rings, too. The extended versions, not Ooh. the originals. The extended cuts are the good ones. And I think we were like six, are we six hours in. And there's some pretty bloody battles um, with the uh, at the Orthanc uh, with uh, Saruman um, that kind of went a little over, over the top for him. But those are pretty gory. I forget, especially the extended cut. But we'll get there. Well, hey, so um, on to technology news that's not uh, a long, long time ago, apparently. Long, long ago. Still can't figure that part out, but... It is far, far away. These are close, close to us and right, right now. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, you got actual AirPods. You got some review unit, a review unit of the AirPods. And um, feverishly tested and wrote a review that went up earlier this week, which we'll have linked in the show notes. But you can go to macworld.com, obviously. So Susie, you had your hands on them at the hands-on area after they were introduced, but now you've had them in your hot little hands with your own equipment and you have thoughts about these. What do you think? I really like them. Um, I'm not super pleased about a couple of the things they represent, but uh, like the actual, the build quality is nice. I They stay in my ears, which is always the first thing people ask. Um, we did a little video with the review. I headbang, I hang upside down, I run upstairs. There's nothing I've been able to do to get these to fall out of my ear. Like I can stand and like, you know how like if you get water stuck in your ear after a shower and you kind of do that dance and like hit yourself on the head, that does not dislodge the AirPods. They're going to stay in. So if that's a concern, don't be concerned about that. Um, Unless, I don't know, maybe you have weird ears, but they stay in my ears just fine. (laughs) And my ears are kind of oily. Like I I put this, real talk, I put this in the review. I can't believe it. Um, So sometimes like silicone earbuds will sort of like get pick up some of that oil and slip out that hasn't oh, yeah, been yeah. a problem with the with the airpods at all they they fit like the earpods but i'm never snagging them because they're snag proof because they have no wire so side sidebar um, there actually are different ear i mean not only are there different ear shapes and types and yes. some people have no earlobes some people have earlobes there's a diff, there are different times uh, types of earwax that are predominant by different uh, uh, ethnic types around the world. And so <laughs> there actually there are issues about designing hardware that goes in the ear because yeah. some people have a dry type of earwax and some people have a wet type. That's all we're going to discuss about. Let's not even say the word moist. <laughs> people don't like the word moist. Okay, so we'll move on. But it is yeah, true. I'm not going to get into any of that. But um, yeah, they're they're really nice. So they, but the controlling with Siri is like a drawback, I think, because, so first of all, if you're going to turn your music up and you have to pause your music to turn it up with Siri, and that's just weird. Like you should be able to turn it up, right? You know, that's what we've been doing our whole lives. And uh, yeah, you have to, you double tap and there's a little pause and you hear the Siri like boop, boop, and you say, 
please turn up the volume or whatever you're going to say. And it always goes up two notches. If you're like, please turn up the volume to 80%, it will not. It will just two notches every time. So it's very much easier to use just the buttons on your phone. You could use an Apple Watch if you're wearing an Apple Watch and you put the music, you know, complication right on the face to make it uh, easy. But using Siri to control, I'm not a big fan of. And then there's also... There's the, you know, there's the second class app problem. So right. um, Siri has full control over Apple Music and the Apple Music app and like the Apple's podcast app, I think. I don't know. I don't really test it with that. I should do that. Um, but I, if you don't Nobody use Apple's- Nobody listens to podcasts, Susie. I'm right. But if, <laughs> if, if, I, a lot of people use another podcast reader, I thought. Like no, that's uh, true. Most people don't use the, the built-in podcast app. Maybe. I mean, I forget let, me, the stats let us are, know. The stats are weird because Apple has captures a lot of it, but it's unclear how many people, because you don't know if people listen or not. None of the software reports whether people listen. You only know as a podcaster if stuff is downloaded, uh, really, unless someone's playing live from a website, which is very rare. So, if I stream with my podcatcher app to, to instead of download, do they get a I think the know? streaming gets like cached it's basically like a download that gets cached oh okay good because I want them to you know have my or they my, count something but it's yeah, anyway yeah. I'm sorry but yes yeah, so the podcast there are I mean Castro and uh, Overcast uh, and a few others I think those are the two big ones um, maybe third yeah. I think Stitcher is kind of a different animal um, so yeah there's a lot of sorry there's a lot of people listening to podcasts and many of them are not using the Apple app yeah so I mean I listen to Spotify and I listen to Pocket Casts and those have some Siri control. I mean, so Siri can control just the basic, you know, uh, volume up and down, track forward and back. And that's basically it. But even like track back, you can't say start this song over. You have to say go back one track and then that'll it'll go back to the beginning of the track you're listening to. But it's not, you know, that's not conversational that's not super intuitive it took me a while to even figure that out um so that yeah that's annoying and apple that's a restriction that apple put on kind of arbitrarily so do you think it's a first time thing like they're uh, out of the gate it's not that uh, i mean a lot of times they reserve stuff to themselves in the first pass but then they open up an api or framework once they're confident uh that it works do you think that's what's going on or does it feel I like mean, it's it could be but Apple's service revenue is growing and yeah. it's one of like the bright spots in the company now. And I think them steering you to their apps is going to be, I think it's going to get worse because uh, so many of the apps now are tied to services like your iCloud storage for your photos and the photos app. And of course, Apple music in the music app, they really want you to use their stuff. And I mean, I could this, I could be like, I've got AirPods now. I should just go all in, cancel my Spotify and go to Apple music. But I still think Spotify is better for app than Apple music. And I, you know, it's, it just bugs me to pay Apple for services when I'm already paying them for hardware. And, you know, I think other companies that are dedicated to just providing that service, that's all they do. I think mm. they still do a better job a lot of places. So so that's a bummer with the AirPods. But it's like, you know, you wouldn't get the AirPods if you're running an Android phone. So they're they're absolutely at their best when you're all in with Apple hardware 
and services, but I wish that, you know, just being all in with Apple hardware was kind of enough. But even so, they're they're still great. I've been wearing them kind of constantly. Um, my mother-in-law's visiting. I swear those are not related, but I wear them all the time. What? They're so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> they're so comfortable. Oh, they God. charge really fast. Like I actually timed it in like 15 minutes. The, Apple says 15 minutes in the case will get you three hours. It does. It goes from like 10% up to like 85% after 15 minutes in the case. So, so yeah, case, so having a, to recharge them has not been a big deal. But there's a sequence of things, right? I think you're just you're walking through it. So you, the uh, okay. AirPods have five hours. The yes. case, if it's fully charged, can provide 24 hours of charge to the AirPod, or the equivalent of about 24 hours of charge to the AirPod. And yeah. the case plugs in via lightning. Yeah. Okay. So just while you're like listening to the AirPods, you just have the case plugged in for a little while. And then... Um, yeah, so that just plugs in any old lightning cable you have lying around. The AirPods can be in the case or not. And they, so the AirPods, like, uh, they just suck into the case there. There's a little magnet. You can even hold it upside down and they won't fall out. So, uh, yeah, so that's it's it, they're pretty great. The, the the charging thing, I was like, oh, man, and another thing I got to keep charged. Two more things I got to keep charged. I got to keep track of these these little ear pods, uh, these little AirPods and the case and keep all of this charged while I'm already, you know, juggling my... Mac, I got to charge now with its own charger and my uh, my iPhone, of course, and my Apple Watch. Like that's a lot of things now. I'm charging like on the daily, but um, it hasn't been a big deal. It's it's been pretty easy just because the case holds so much and it's so fast to charge them out of the case. Well, it's so, like the irritating thing is like that you have like Lightning is not. It's very specific, right? Pretty much the most the the most typical thing you'll find with a Lightning cable is Lightning uh, to USB Type A. And mm-hmm. there's not really any other like lightning is kind of its own beast. So it's not like you can get like a multi lightning charger thing that you stick stuff on. Um, yeah. There are do- there are some docks, but mostly you're dealing with cables. And so it's great they're using a standard type, but it also means more cable management. Yeah, it's actually I was thinking about um, maybe like I should get a dock and I could just like <laughs> oh, pop yeah, yeah. it because the the AirPods the. Um, the lightning port is on the bottom, and you could probably dock it oh, pretty easily. Oh, gosh, like no one made well, right I bet bottom. we'll see that from, you know, uh, Kensington or some of the other companies, uh, uh, Belkin, or someone will make like a uh, air. But they have to, you know, this is the chicken and the egg thing, right? Because these have been so delayed, that there's no third-party ecosystem about them because there is no point in creating one since they're kind of an enclosed ecosystem. But if enough get out there, then someone can create, they can modify something they have and say, here's the perfect AirPod case dock <laughs> and it's designed specifically to hold it straps that's the third party thing and i think those are all going to crash and burn like there's all these like oh here's a little hook to like attach to the bottom and hook it around your ear nope that's going to look stupid there here's like um <laughs> they had the little grandma like sunglasses chain where you like attach it to both of them and then you can just sort of drape them around your neck when you're not oh, using yeah. them like you're an old lady playing canasta and nope that's not necessary i think uh just get a t-shirt with a pocket on it those are going to come back um so yeah i think all the third parties straps and like different solutions for keeping them in your ears are all like silly and not needed of course you know different people some might people might find those awesome but i i'm not i'm not convinced i think these are the, the design is pretty good just on their own AirPods. So, um, yeah, the second class app thing is a bummer. Let's see. Was there anything else I was going to well, say? They could use another gesture. Oh, right, right. So tell me about that because you're, um, 
you want to have more control that's not voice based, basically. Yes. So in the settings, um, it, it, it's kind of hidden. So you go into Bluetooth and you see like the list of all your Bluetooth devices and they all have the little lowercase i by them. You hit that, that little info button next to your AirPods and you get a screen that has just a few settings. And one of them is changing the double tap gesture. Like, so there's just one gesture to control the AirPods. It's a double tap. By default, it's Siri. But you can also change that to just play or pause. You just play or pause with a double tap and that's it. You can't call up Siri. Um, Or the other one is just to turn them off, which I guess if you're just really concerned about always having them like off off and not on standby to save battery, I don't know. I I, I think that one's less less useful. but so the, the, that's all you get, though, is there's just that one double tap. I think they should have another gesture. Um, I'm testing some, some uh, other Bluetooth headphones. So they're like over the ear headphones. So they have more surface area to work with, but they're not that big. So there's not a ton more surface area to work with, but they're all gesture based. So you kind of swirl your finger on the ear cup to turn it up or down, like ah, a okay. counterclockwise or clockwise, like you were mm-hmm. adjusting a dial. And then... Um, and then you can change the the track with taps. So it's the same taps as like the clicks on the little inline remote, like one to pause, two to go forward, three to go back. And it's working pretty well. I think Apple did the double tap so there wouldn't be like false taps. Um, you have to tap twice. Like it's more intentional that you're really tapping twice and it wasn't just like an accident. But I don't know. I would like to try some kind of like optional mode. Don't make it the default. That's just like one tap to pause, two to go forward, three to go back. I think that might really solve a lot of the problem. And then the stem that they use for the microphone on the AirPods and like it also keeps it very balanced in your ear. I think that's long enough that maybe in in a future generation, they could make that like a, a touch sensitive surface and you could slide your finger up or down to turn it up and down mm-hmm. that would make these like so perfect i would pay 300 dollars. like they would be amazing so just more tapping controls more gesture stuff because it's a lot more subtle to do it that way i've just been using my phone and the raise to wake on ios 10 is like my favorite thing now because i just pick up my phone and the controls come up on the lock screen and that's how i'm controlling spotify mostly I was really annoyed by Raised to Wake, and I almost turned it off. And then at some point, I flipped over, and I started uh, getting used to it and expecting it. And I'd be irritated when I did something where that didn't happen. So yeah. they retrained me. Raised to Wake me. is my buddy now. They retrained me. My wife just updated. She had kept iOS 9 on her phone for a long time, and then she had a crack accident, which we're still trying to resolve because she doesn't <laughs> want to give up the phone over the holidays. And crack kills, people. Crack kills. Crack kills. And the uh, Apple stores are backlogged, so we're still trying to figure out what we'll – what we'll do, probably, like I say, use her, uh, she had an old iPhone 5 that I still have for testing with a battery that's not great, but she could carry a charger. And anyway, so I said, look, we have to get everything up to the latest operating system so that I can, because the uh, iPhone 5 is running iOS 10. So she upgraded her phone and she's like, this is so different. I'm like, what's different? She's like, this whole this. And, that. and I'm like, oh, you know, you press the button, it doesn't unlock, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I got to show her, I'd forgotten already, she mentioned it and we didn't do it, but the way to reverse the... Um, that you, uh, the home button, uh, you just hold the new, you know, remember how in iOS 10 they changed. People may not even remember this. It's only been a few months. I forget this because she told me and I'm like, no, that's not how it works. I'm like, oh yeah, it is where before you could just touch the sensor and unlock your phone. Now you have to, you know, unlock it. You're pressing it. 
um, and there's a little more, you know, lock screen behavior that's changed. I'd forgotten because, you know, I was running the beta for so long. I thought there um, was a setting for that. There is. That you, you have to turn just... it off. And I, we, she mentioned it in passing. I was like, there's a way to change it. She said, great. And then I completely forgotten every way to do it. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the kind of partner I am. But uh, now I'll remember. I'll go tell her. Um, so AirPods, you're you have mixed feelings but about them. But I like them. them. I mean, like I sound like feelings. I have a lot of little complaints, but I still really like them. I'm wearing them constantly. If you took them away, I'd be sad. Uh, I do like the demo video you did. It was really great because it does show. You know, you're moving your head around. I, you know, I understand the problem. So if you lose one of them, Apple will sell you a one ear replacement for sixty nine buckos. Um and they're not so I assume this is a funny question. I don't think you mentioned this. Uh they're not left or right intentional, right? How do they know if yeah. they're left or right? How do oh, they they're left and right. They are. I mean, oh so if you lose one you have to replace a left or right yeah, one. Yeah. So you, you have always to get look the right how one. big is the L and R? Because I have I have some headphones where the L and R is microscopic and I have to look every time. Well so in the case they only fit on the side that they're supposed to fit on and that's also the left and the right. Uh So if you take the right one out of the right side of the case and put it in your right ear, and then you take the left one out of the left side of the case and you put it in your left ear, you don't really have to look at it. But the L and the R, it's on the stem. It's, how big is it? Let's see. It's as big as, um, it's like half the height of the home button on my phone. Half the height of the home. It's about the size of like the the camera lens on the the, the FaceTime camera lens on my iPhone 7. It's about that size. That's good. Okay. Well, I get that. It's like like a gray writing on a white thing. So it's not like super visible when it's in your ear. And it also sort of faces your face when you have them in your ear. So people can't see it, but you can see it when you need to. to. But yeah, I mean, you're you're looking for L and R are very different letters. It's just, gosh, I mean, I have some headphones where it's like black or it's gray on black and it's one point type. You're like, really? This is like you design the headphones to not show an orientation. There is an orientation. Um, As an adult who took, I think it wasn't until my 20s until I had a firm sense of left and right. Because oh yeah, me too. My son like got it right away. Oh, He's man. really good at it. Good I said, like someone finally taught me that thing where you hold your hands up and the and with like your finger pointed up and your thumb pointed yeah, out. That's right. And it's the so, one that makes an L is your left. Right, like so someone folks, finally told me that, and I was like, whoa. Folks, if you don't have left and right mastered, and honestly, it really wasn't until my twenties until I could consistently do it. Because <laughs> left and right is I'm arbitrary. so glad you said that. I thought it was only me. <laughs> we are. We are um, uh, what's it called? We are I feel so close to you right now, Glenn. Oh, so sweet. Well, I've met other people who are my age in their 40s who don't know left and right, so I'm very sympathetic. I was so relieved when my son like picked it up like right away. I was just like, don't be like me. Don't be like me. It's what do we call this? Is it radially symmetric? We are, we know you draw a line down a person and the left and right are mirror images more or less. Internal organs are you know an exception, but externally, we are effectively symmetrical across a center line. So left and right are arbitrary. This is something I noticed when um, my older son was first learning uh, letters. He learned his alphabet very young. Like I think he was one and he learned an alphabet. But my supposition was, which proved out, he had memorized the shapes of letters in a um, alphabet, you know, puzzle where you stuck them in, but yeah. he didn't actually know arbit like he didn't know arbitrary letter forms. It's true, it went away, and then later he learned his letters um, where he didn't just have memorized them, but he could tell the abstract shape of a letter. And I think left oh. and right, like, and so I notice kids often will orient letters in arbitrary directions because letters don't have. We're used to reading them with a baseline. There's yeah. no specific reason 
before that, letters could be written in any direction because they're explicable. So my son likes to write his name in a circle. There's, it's totally fine. It's only yeah. socialization. It's it's an arbitrary thing. So, folks, if you have a left and right problem, hold your hands out in front of you, palms tipped up towards you. Extend your, keep your all your fingers together except your thumb. Thumb is a finger. And um, Mr. Doctor, no, your, palm, your palms are away. <clears throat> your palms are away. Your, I'm yeah. sorry, the back of your palms are facing you. Yeah, yeah, Extend yeah. your thumbs towards each other, and the one that spells an L in the correct orientation and direction is your left. That's your left hand. I heard someone do this once, and they said they both spell L's. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> oh, one no. is an L in one direction and one is an L in the reverse. I'm like, oh yeah, God, you're just right. just a reverse L. <laughs> it's, so you want the correct, the L the way you write it versus the reverse L. But they're, they were right though. They were like, it's a flipped L. This is what we learned in the Macworld podcast, telling your left when you're right. But it's true. People are embarrassed. There's things that are, look, I see, I'm working on my younger son in uh, t- uh, fingernail chewing, right? And picking. And I'm like, look, I fly on planes, I travel around, and I see grown men, never grown women, for whatever reason, who are gnawing away at their fingers. It drives me crazy. And I'm like, honey, when you grow up, it will actually, people will have, like, there's things that I don't care about you because I think they're whatever you want to be. You can be a policeman, a fireman, you can have any, you know, like, sexual orientation. Like, there's nothing I will ever shame you about that is your identity. I'll never prescribe it, except you can't chew your fingernails because... (laughs) Because kids, you grow up and you're in a job interview and you're gnawing away. It does not present a good image. Like that's the one thing you need to suppress in your life. Everything else, totally cool. I'm not judging, not going to prescribe, no moral anything, but fingernail chewing. You can talk to your computer. You can talk to your headphones. Exactly. Everything's fine. cool, but keep the fingers out of here. Gosh, dang math. So um, the question is... Final question. Final question. One thing that makes people chew their fingernails oh, yeah. these days is the state of the Mac. Oh, wait. Hold oh, wait, on. We're one not thing done with AirPods. I was trying to segue like you I, do. But I have one last thing. I stuck this All question right. here. So uh, these are ready to ship. You feel like these are a shipping product, not a late beta product? Or oh, not? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, like they, the, the pausing thing like wasn't completely solid, but it's solid enough. And they're so much better than like any other Bluetooth. Um, you know, I haven't tried a lot of the wire free ones. So now I'm really eager to try more wire free ones. But just the, the lock into iOS and, and everything is it, it's so solid. And, and the build quality is really solid. The charging case is awesome. I'm, you know, except for the whole like Siri control and I hate Siri. Like other than that, they're pretty great. I, I think I don't think they don't feel like a beta. Well, I'm hearing, of course, people who got uh, shipping units. So you got a review. Uh, you got a review unit. Um, so ostensibly, Apple made sure that your unit was as perfect as could be. Um, and uh, I know I've heard from a few people and seen some things on Twitter from people who got shipping units who are having intermittent problems, not consistent ones. So okay. Um, so we'll see. We'll see once people we get more than some their of hands. those, and they're coming. They're not coming till the 29th. So you know, I'll 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 try to do, you know I'll I'll check to see if test. they. They perform the same All right. as well, these. So I'm sorry I broke your segue, but we're going to... Another we, thing that makes people chew their fingernails is anxiety over when the Mac is ever going to get upgraded. Yeah. Glenn. We got a bunch of, got a bunch <laughs> of information this week, huh? <laughs> Um, You know, Tim Cook came back from meeting with uh, the president-elect, and he had all kinds of things to say, but not much about the president-elect, mostly about Macintoshes. But he put out – there were some internal memos, and some of them were about Apple's core values. And, you know, he he said stuff like, um, it's better to, you know, it's better to engage than not engage, and then we will agree or disagree, but engaging keeps you at the table was kind of his statement. It it lets you – 
have a stake in and an ability to influence the outcome. They said, we engage in China, we engage in, you know, blah. And um, that was his justification for some of the critics who asked why he would meet with someone who had, you know, essentially said Apple was doing everything wrong and needs to blah and whatever. Uh, that aside, though, uh, Tim also put out an internal memo. And these are the kind of memos that are designed to be leaked. I mean, they're meant for internal purposes, but there's no way no one thinks they will not get out of the company instantly. And Tim said, hey, you know, we are committed to the Mac. <laughs> contrary, contrary to what you might think because of our behavior in the uh, last. <laughs> <laughs> we have great maps in the Macs in the roadmap. Racks in the roadmap. And um, however, our friend, uh, I don't actually know him, but let's call him our friend, Mark Gurman, who's now at Bloomberg, formerly at uh, 95 Mac, uh, he put out a story following this that said, um, using his usual deep sources, that in fact, um, there was a lot of chaos in the Mac division, fewer resources being devoted, um, the direction is more diffuse, it's not as focused as it used to be, and that in 2017, we are unlikely to see a Mac Pro, was from what he said. He said there'd probably be mild, like modest improvements including upgrading to USB-C connectors um, or maybe Thunderbolt 3, and uh, but not like any big overhaul. Um, and he also discussed the um, – there was apparently uh, a problem with the MacBook Pro battery, and the version that shipped is a worse version than what they were trying to get to work, uh, mm. which explains in part the strangeness about the battery time remaining situation where Apple decided to remove that rather than show what is an increasingly – an accurate calculation. And I actually kind of support them removing battery time in the form that it exists because it wasn't accurate, but um, I think they could do a better job of showing it as we discussed. But uh, anyway, did you have you had a chance to read that report? I think it just came out just before we were recording this. In fact. Yes. And um, the part that I thought was interesting in a disturbing way was um, how they were talking about. So the Mac Pro, as we know, is assembled in the U.S., but that was a big effort to get, um, you know, special machines and, and train everybody in how to do it. Because, of course, Apple, their manufacturing process is very precise and and, you know, they really put a lot of effort into that. So now, you know, they need to upgrade these things and it would make a lot more sense for them to move the production back to uh, China um, just because of the reasons Tim Tim always talks about. But now would be a terrible time politically to do that because, of course, President-elect Trump has been very vocal about wanting Apple to, to make more products here. And if they took the one product that they're making here and moved it over there just to make it better... That you know would be bad timing and just the optics. So, um, so that's that's a bummer. Um, I you know I'm not a Mac Pro user. Again, I type words in the boxes, so the laptops are <laughs> plenty, plenty powerful I for type me. Words in boxes. I you know I I do some JPEGs. I don't edit our videos. I just act no, in true. them. So most like, of the time I, I'm doing most my, of the time I'm typing words. My workload word boxes. is pretty light. I'm yeah. mostly typing words in the boxes. They're beautiful words and lovely, lovely boxes. But you know, I bought a Mac Pro in 2007 because um, and I've owned, I owned. I'm trying to think if I owned. I owned a Mac Cube. Did I own? I owned a Mac Pro before or whatever it was before that. Power, I'm sorry, Power. Um, Power Mac for a bit. the G5 tower? I love no, that I owned thing. A, I owned a Power Mac. I owned a couple Power Macs, but the only 
um, I bought a Mac Pro, a 2007 machine. Would that have been a Mac Pro? I think it was one of the first models. She's greater model, the G5. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah I would that be more likely machine. to buy that than the cylinder one because Although, that thing was cool. You could open it up. You could you know swap out yeah. the hard drives. I wanted um, to put more drives and I had a bunch of things. I wanted an upgradable machine. I used the Mac. I used that for five years, I think, until I couldn't get it to take Lion. It was like the very mm-hmm. earliest model that was supposed to be able to be upgraded to Lion. Could not get it to work. Finally, and it also, I uh, just like, oh, whatever. So I sold it. A friend of mine wanted a development machine as like a backup, sold it to him for like $100 plus $100 in shipping because that thing weighed like yeah. 47 pounds, shipped it off so to him. Heavy. And then uh, uh, by the time it came to the point, I'd already replaced it with a Mac Mini that was dramatically, a 2011 era Mac Mini that I bought in 2012 was dramatically more powerful than the 2007 um, Mac Pro. But the funny part is, by the time I got it ready to ship off to him and wiped it, Lion now worked. They'd fix whatever thing that they hadn't talked oh. about. I know, But it was all right, because I had this machine that weighed like five yeah. pounds that was twice as powerful and, you know, I used external devices. But I'm not a Mac Pro. And a lot of people who bought Mac Pros, the, the uh, 2013 models, uh, I know some people did not keep those. Like Marco Arment famously bought yeah. one, was excited, and Returned replaced it. It with an uh, iMac because the iMac had higher performance for the kinds of things that were needed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they should at least do something with the Mac Mini or some kind of like headless Mac to because like that whole segment is is languishing. And the, you know, Mark Gurman's report was that the, um, the iMac was was going to get USB-C and yeah. Thunderbolt and stuff. But but yeah, those aren't for everybody. It's a it's a bummer, and of course, so Apple said great stuff in the roadmap, but that's exactly what they would say and what they have to say. And any Mac they put out, they would call great. So, I mean, reasonable people might disagree. Well, also for for those of us who are a twelve inch MacBook lovers, this line particularly drove me bazanka, which was for a twenty sixteen MacBook update. Some Apple engineers. Wanted to add a Touch ID fingerprint scanner and a second USB-C port. Instead, it included a new rose gold color option alongside a standard speed increase. Like, oh, but that's, yeah. that, you know, they they don't push very much on in a lot of different directions because they haven't been focused on it. And I think that's, you know, that's one of those things where I felt, I thought the MacBook, I think you may remember when I bought the first uh, the 2015 12-inch MacBook and my suspicion was that the 2016 model would have a lot of improvements and, it had some. There were some things that were that were better. It's it definitely. I really a thought machine. it would get a second port. I really did. Yeah, I thought that you know because it's like the it's like the MacBook Air thing. The first MacBook Air mm-hmm. was really restrictive, but people bought it because it fit a specific niche. And then the second release uh, fixed some of the problems, and by the third time out, so you know, 2017 um, 12 inch MacBook could be dramatically different. But uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing because I you'd think that. I mean, we thought maybe it was an Intel uh, roadmap problem, and it still could be. It doesn't say that it wasn't. Um, nothing in this report says that, that the because Intel pushed back, Apple had been counting on a generation that it, the Katie Lake uh, or KB Lake that they wanted to use. And with that not ready with the features they needed, that meant they were designing computers around a generation of processors that weren't available. So it's possible yeah. we'll see more push. But, I mean, you know, it's a good sign. The fact that Cook is going, you know, telling employees there's more to come means we're not going to see – I, mean, I never thought we were going to see a near-term end to the Mac because it's – you know, we've talked about this many times. You can't do OS ten development. Yeah, on anything <laughs> they need but a Mac. It. They needed an Apple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're doing the dog like the um, Swift Playgrounds thing on the iPad is uh, is part of the pilot of like how do we move to 
running um, Xcode as a fully functioning system on uh, on iOS. And ultimately, you will be able to compile apps that work, you know, with an Xcode-like environment or an adjunct or something in iOS. That is inevitable. No one is saying that won't happen. But the kind of power you need, I'm always astonished how much power is needed to actually do the compilation and all the other yeah. stuff. It really, um, it's sort of astonishingly asymmetrical. Like you're running software that seems very fast and simple to use that works on, you know, can still work on an iPhone 5 or something. And yet you need this massively powerful machine to compile it in any reasonable amount of time as you're going through testing. Um, yeah. So we're not going to see, I mean, but I do, I do think like knowing that there's a roadmap for 2017, knowing that USB-C, Thunderbolt, three are coming, knowing that speed bumps are coming, knowing that Tim has reiterated this commitment in a way that was intended to be publicly linked, uh, leaked. And, um, you know, we talked before about things that get leaked to Mark Ehrman and others. Those are often strategic. So he has his sources that tell him things that they're not supposed to. And then there's sources that tell him things that are, he are supposed to. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen that with the wall street journal as well. And they've had stories at times that are like, um, they're strategically designed to make Apple to make it, make sure that people know, uh, that Apple isn't behind the curve. So I think this fits into that. Yeah. Uh, uh, on another front related to new MacBook Pros, the LG 5K monitor is now shipping, which is uh, news because this is, um, it's very affordable. Uh, Apple had dropped the price after the initial um outcry at uh, USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 device pricing on their site. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, what is it, a thousand bucks for a 5K display that uh, only works over Thunderbolt 3. And um, it was shipping immediately. And then it very quickly went to two to four weeks and uh, January 20th for in-store pickup. So some people will apparently get them. Um, but uh, it's nine hundred and seventy four dollars. It's a really good price. That's well, a really good deal. Yeah, I think they dropped its price. I want to say by a few hundred dollars, and you know, which means they're buying it from LG at cost and selling it for cost, and uh, or they're buying it from LG, which LG is making a profit. But they're, there's Apple selling it probably for cost or close to cost, which is fine because they're trying to get more people to buy. I mean, it's chicken and egg. It's like if you you want a five K monitor and you want. Uh, you know, the something you can get that's affordable. You're like, oh, well, if I buy this, then I need to get a MacBook Pro. So it helps chain people into a set yeah. of purchases. And you can run, um, as we talked about before, the 15-inch MacBook Pro will run two 5K or four 4K monitors at the same time. And I could see people getting a 5K and two 4K monitors side by side if you're doing certain kind of high-end uh video editing or other production that requires a lot of screen territory. Um, yeah. It's there. And so this is a machine you can get right now that does it and a monitor that is not absurdly priced. Oh. Yeah. And oh. then it comes with a cable that'll charge your MacBook while it's connected. It has uh, three more USB-C ports on it, um, speakers, a camera, and a microphone. So it kind of turns your MacBook into a little iMac if you want to look at it that way. No, it's true. I think it's a great little, um, oh yeah, I'm sorry. It was originally 1300. So they dropped it over $300 when they do it. And, um, and by the way, there, uh, the limited time offer, uh, is now being extended to, it was originally to the end of December and now it is being extended to the end of, uh, March, 2017. It looks like everything I think is now getting, did yeah, I find all that? The USB -C all the USB-C adapters and stuff and that were also 3, on sale, yeah. those lower prices, I think, are going to last until March 31st as it's well. It's pretty slick. So that means that, uh, yeah, Yay. so there you go. 
there you go. If you were waiting, you had a reason to, uh, you didn't, you're not losing out by not getting it. I think it's partly backordering. They didn't have enough stuff. So like if you say the price is only good until uh, December 31st, but we can't ship it to you until next year. I mean, if you order it, they usually give you the price. But still, it's frustrating for folks. Um, well, let's, uh, I think we're getting towards towards the end of the podcast, wrap up a few things. We did a, a Macworld. We just published a couple uh, reviews. If you're looking for travel bags, this is an interesting time. I mean, you know, it's a little close to Christmas to place a purchase. You might not get it in time, but also a good time to look for sales after Christmas. I have a new winter jacket, a uh, rainproof jacket I want to get. And uh, I am going to wait until after December 25th and see what is on offer. Uh, but we published two uh, guides recently. One is an update for our best laptop bags, including some that have built-in chargers. And the other, by Seamus Bellamy, is uh, a rugged travel bag article. So if you're looking for something you can take with you that is um, that holds a lot and is rugged, he's uh, rounded up the four best or tested four of the the best ent- entries. Entries. Yeah, he tests that. stuff all the time. He's uh he's basically living on the road now. He bought an RV, and so he's doing this travel column for us. Um, and he went to Montana, and so so he's been testing these these bags for a while, and then these were like the four that he still uses. Like of all the stuff he tested, like these are the ones that um that are his go tos again and again. So. I thought that was a cool one. And then, yeah, Oscar is doing his laptop bags one. He's going to keep that updated. So this was a big major update that added um, runner-up picks for for all of the categories. So, yeah, just in time for holiday travel. Just in time for holiday travel. But too late to buy it right now. Well, maybe not, though. I don't know. You listen to this on Wednesday. You could probably get it. Uh, the uh, oh, other thing I want to talk about is uh, an article came out uh, just a few days ago on the uh, just uh, late last week about the smartwatch market. And, you know, we've talked about smartwatches now for what I think is years because of the <laughs> Apple Watch. And um, there was this prediction at some point, you know, Apple's early entry uh, wasn't the earliest. There were others in the market. There was Pebble, um, Samsung. There were a bunch of Android uh, wear style uh, watches from different manufacturers. And the assumption was that the market would either you know catch on fire and there'd be a lot of diversity and it would shake out or it would be kind of a lackluster category and maybe the whole thing would fall apart. Um, wasn't clear whether people wanted watches and what watches were for. And uh, this article at Above Avalon that uh, found via Daring Fireball um, has a great discussion of, uh, I mean, I think the, the article breaks down what the current market is like, but I think what it's turned out to be, and, and Susie, I think this parallels your experience. A lot of people, at uh, a lot of the Macworld uh, editors and writers who have continued to wear Apple Watches, a lot of the people I know who wear them, is that it turns out a watch is best for, it's not it's not solely for, but fitness is a really key aspect of a watch. And uh, thus having GPS in a watch winds up being a very key feature um, as well. So all the other things that a watch might do or could do or can do now are not extraneous, but they kind of tie into people doing stuff on the go. And so it might be travel um, and it might just be routine stuff. But I think uh, the one of the character, one of the things that's come up is the future of Fitbit seems like it might be in doubt. They have some financial, uh, you know, some bad results, bad earnings rather. And um, there's uh, this article compares the, uh, sales quarter over quarter of Apple smartphones that have been kind of backed out from Apple reporting and other sources and Fitbit units. And it looks like that's, you know, narrowing. So Apple is uh, the difference in the holiday quarters between what Fitbit sells, what Apple sells has gotten smaller because Apple's selling more, maybe Fitbit's not selling as much. So, um, there may be this, you know, destruction going on. Uh, so right now there's, uh, Apple 
which is dominating the market. There's Garmin, which is a well-known brand, and they have watches that people really like, but they're very, uh, you know, they're expensive. They're kind of big, and they're very focused on the fitness side. Um, Samsung has watches, and then that's kind of it. You know, Pebble shut down. Um, Motorola's leaving the market. Huawei and uh, LG are um, apparently have well, no. Well, Pebble's, new- Pebble's going to Fitbit. Well, they're Fitbit going to Fitbit, Pebble, but they're, gonna so shut, they're, gonna... they're shutting down the Pebble watch line. They won't be making new Pebble watches. Yeah, yeah. They're going to, they, they said they'd keep the current watches working through the end of 2017. But I mean, I, I don't think Fitbit's in trouble because they, they just bought Pebble and they just put out their new products. And, and I mean, they're the category leader in, in fitness wearables. Well, yeah, but they've had uh, the issue is they had profit. Let's see, they had a bad report in November, mm, okay. um, and it was attributed to manufacturing problems. Uh, so they and they had a, you know they had a quarterly increase, but earnings fell short. Um, people are concerned about that being a bump because the uh, they were going to continue the problems were going to continue into the current quarter, which is the holiday quarter, um, and not being able to deliver enough stuff. So they're selling, let's see here, they're selling, uh, last quarter they sold 5.3 million devices. A year before that, they sold 4.8 million devices. So not a big uh, increase. Um, you know, so there's, I think there's a question. It's not like they're about to go out of business, but there's a question about what the viability is, buying Pebble, but then shutting down the Pebble division, like shutting down Pebble watches is... You know, there it was an aqua hire. Essentially, they wanted to bring the Pebble people in, who have all this experience more than you know almost anybody in the market who's not already inside a major company uh, with developing um, you know mobile devices like that. So yeah, we'll see. But it's just an interesting thing because I think the I think we're in that. Uh, this is a familiar state for me in my life. Unfortunately, it's that state in which things aren't thriving, but they're not failing either. So you're kind of poking, poking along and it's not like Apple introduced the new Apple watch model. And suddenly they started selling iPod. Uh, I mean, iPad like levels of uh, initial sales. So Apple selling units, it's very likely a profitable division for them, even considering R and D they dominate the market, but is it going to develop? Are they going to suddenly start selling, you know, a couple hundred million watches uh, a year? Uh, certainly not yet. Yeah, I kind of think it'll be more of like a an Apple TV kind of sized market where it's 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 not you know it's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not going to be like iPad and iPhone levels because it's such a it's such an accessory. Like it's it's a it's a nice to have, but it's never going to be like a need to have. Yeah. Because I mean, even if you're really into the fitness things, the fitness bands are getting pretty good, and a lot of them will do notifications. Mm-hmm. Like Matt, Matt Gemmel just wrote a thing about how he's going to get rid of his Apple Watch because he was like looking around and saying like I don't really use much of this. Like all the things I use it for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could replace very easily with you know other devices that I don't have to charge every night and whatever. So so yeah, I mean, we tested some new Fitbits, and they—you can't do anything with the notification, but you know, your phone really isn't that far away. And I'm not like replying to text messages on my watch. I'm mostly just reading notifications passively. So a Fitbit charge too could could do that, and I wouldn't really be losing much there. Um, so yeah, like it's you know, it's just. If if you want to be kind of all tied into Apple and have everything all work together, I like how it's a little remote control for my HomeKit stuff and my now my AirPods. But yeah, that's just because you know I have way 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 too much Apple stuff. So um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a good niche for those like super fans, and they're going to sell a lot of them, and and they they should keep it around. But I I, I don't.
don't know if the category is going to become like anywhere as ubiquitous as like smartphones anytime soon because I mean you need a smartphone to get you know the experience so it automatically becomes like this add-on extra accessory. Well, I have this theory that I've re- I've said I'll just repeat it, which is that I don't think the Apple Watch comes into its own until it's a fully self you know, self-standing advice uh, that has a cellular radio in it. You know, they add a GPS. GPS is easier. Uh, it could be a battery suck. And so it's a huge issue to design something that can use a GPS and not require constant charging. Uh, so I, my suspicion is that um, when the Apple Watch was introduced in April 2015, we already know it was kind of, you know, maybe six plus months behind in terms of when Apple had originally hoped to introduce it. We don't know the specifics, but that means the technology that was in it was already running a bit late. Like we don't know where it was in the manufacturing line, but it's not like they updated all the tech in those six months. They were perfecting it. So we've had the first hardware refresh in 2016 that was substantial and it's kind of like a, you know, an 18 month cycle refresh because of uh, both the uh, when it came out, but also like the original hardware design of the thing. And so when the first one was introduced in spring 2015, I said, people were saying it's years until there, you, someone will be able to put cellular into a form factor that size and have good battery life. And I said, if it were five years away, Apple would not be introducing this because they want it like a three-year roadmap. If they can't do this within three years, then this product can't mature fast enough to make sense because it can't always be tethered. There's a limited market for a tethered-only device. And so my assumption is by April 2018, if not sooner, so maybe in 2017 they'll have cracked it. Um, when did they do the uh, – when was the Watch 2 hardware? Was that um, – in September, I've already lost track. Yeah. Was it September of this year? September, yeah. yeah. So maybe it's September 2017, but certainly by you know early 2018, I think they have some kind of cellular. It could even be 3G because you don't need that much. You're not downloading Photoshop, you know, layered files. I don't know. Right? Like it doesn't. It, like the things that it does on its own, it doesn't do very well. Like the this like it's. It's it's much better as a second screen. Like it's not pleasant to to do like big tasks with. Like you can, you know, you can reply to to things, but it's not fun. So I I don't really care if it's a standalone device because I just don't think that anyone's going to opt for like, oh, if I don't need a phone, like I'll just I'll just do everything on my watch. Like I think we're so far from that because the apps, you know, are slow and they just don't do that much and then like the the interface is so tiny and and you look like an idiot talking to it and you feel like an idiot poking at it and your arm hurts like holding it up to your face so like it's it's much better as just kind of a glanceable screen like I don't I don't see these as like a standalone thing I, I don't think that's gonna be what makes them take off well file um, file me under claim chatter because I think yeah. I don't think it replaces a f- I don't think it replaces uh, I think it has a different job you know to use uh, uh, Clayton Christensen's uh, innovators dilemma thing. It's like, what is the job that this thing is doing? And I think the phone does a different job than a laptop. I think the people who wanted to merge tablets and laptops have largely missed the boat because they have different but overlapping jobs. And I that's why I think Surface has done well for Microsoft because they picked a job for it. And even that big one that, you know, that's sort of a laptop or it's kind of a computer but it's a big screen has a, does a really good it really does a good job like its thing is you can draw on it it's got an incredible and it's huge and it's sort of beautiful and it's well designed for that purpose so it does other stuff which i almost think is incidental and helpful as opposed to core but i think um i don't so i don't think it's 
people so, would I mean, switch to this instead of a phone. I think it's that as Siri improves. So you need simultaneous things. You need faster processing. You need a cellular um, chip that works in it that's fast enough. You need potentially more storage, but not a ton more. And you need a really good natural language interface. And then it yeah. becomes laptop. Then you have this thing where it's tablet plus uh, plus watch or watch plus laptop. And people may some people may forego a phone if they have Bluetooth earphone, you know, Bluetooth headset plus the watch plus cellular for a lot of people is what they do in notifications and they carry a laptop. So I think that, I think there's different modalities that'll evolve in which a fully standalone watch is something that people who didn't need a phone, but got one because that was the closest thing that fit now switch the watch. So, but that's my claim chatter. I'll put it out there. Um, I mean, they already made it better as a standalone for fitness. So they're mm -hmm. like, people people really use it for fitness. And that is a use case where you want to travel as light as possible. So not taking the phone along on a run, like that is something that I think people will really, really use. Um, maybe if Apple's AI gets like so much better that you're really just dealing with, you know, serious kind of your gateway to all your stuff in the cloud and, and you're just coming back and forth. But like, it's not, yeah, the hardware is not the bottleneck there. Like it's that, it's that they're, you know, they, their predictive AI just isn't, it's just not there yet. Um, and Siri is super frustrating. So if the watch was like just a standalone Siri machine, like, I, and that was the direction they were taking it, like, I think that would be a really long road from where we are now. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's the thing is I think they, I think Apple is, is behind the curve in terms of that whole area. We know we're all frustrated with Siri. But they keep saying they're not, which makes me think that they really, really are, and they don't even know that they are. Like, it's Siri is so frustrating. Like, Siri just makes me mad. It's so bad. Well, it feels like it's I worse. I thought it was getting better, yeah. but now, yeah, I think it's getting worse again. My like, wife just, is very it, unhappy it, with it. She uses it extensively to, to take notes. Long pauses, and then, mm -hmm. like, I don't know what you said, or, like, I keep saying turn it up, and she keeps thinking that I'm telling her to shut up, and then she gets mad, and I'm like, why would I, like, call you up just to tell you to shut up and like stop getting mad at me like turn up the volume on my <laughs> damn airpods siri isn't getting mad at you it's only artificial i swear yeah. um, and it's I, like they have these beam forming microphones like it shouldn't it shouldn't have this problem understanding me i'm having this problem this last week for the first time with siri where it's like i you know i hold on the button or i say ahoy telephone and it um it comes up and i speak and i see the little waves showing it hears me speak and nothing happens and then mm -hmm. I wait, and sometimes words show up. It's like, sorry, I didn't get that. And I'm like, I say the same thing again, and then it's fine. And it's, it, there, I've been, I was trying to train myself towards using Siri more, and I've been training myself away from it because it's such a frustrating experience. Apple exactly. should not be delivering a frustrating experience. And I know it's hard, but we know from Google and other projects that it's, uh, it's not, the state of the art is much better than what Apple can provide right now. And that's a shame because you would think that they this is such a direction for them, they'd be further along. And I have to think in terms of eating one's own dog food that every day people in Cupertino are confronting the limitations of Siri. If they're not, I don't know what's going on. But you know, <laughs> but I'm like, is Phil are, are all the top executives at Apple, they talk about how they use these products. They often get products, you know, they're carrying around a series two watch long before it ships because they're sort of testing it and they get the advantage of it and they get feedback. And I think that's great. But it does not explain why Siri appears to be getting worse, even if it's getting better. It doesn't seem like it's getting better. And that they are putting out these positive statements instead of we're built. You know, there's there, you could you can say things that are not as 
rosy as they say them. (laughs) (laughs) Is the point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's just you know everyone's like, look, we're using it. We know that it's not that great. Uh, But um, it's you know yeah, maybe it'll get better. I I, they definitely need to turn the annoyance factor down. Like if it. There's a dial on the side for annoyance. Turn that yeah. down from 10 Like, stop saying nighty-night when I tell oh, you to I'm turn so, my lights off. I'm so irritated with the cutesy stuff. I'm like, just yeah. give me a gosh-darned answer. Yeah, um, we're not friends, Siri. Yeah, it, it, doesn't make it, more hu- it doesn't make it more human to me when it says the same thing. Uh, and when I've heard the same cutesy reply 50 times over my life, yep. it's not cute anymore. It's just, it's stupid. Um, although I did yeah. appreciate, there no, was a- I, I stopped asking Siri to turn my lights off. I stopped, I started like pulling up control oh center, gosh, swiping really? over to the home kit screen and hitting the button. Cause like, it just grates. Like that's the net last thing I do with my phone. And it's just like, it's so grating for that to be that experience. Do we, do we talk about the one cool thing is after the Westworld finale, did I mention that a couple of weeks ago that they'd, uh, they dropped in some, some, uh, Easter eggs into Siri? No. Oh, it's cute. If you say analysis, it actually brings up a string of what looks like just random hexadecimal, but it's actually Unicode. And if you decode the Unicode um, hex into the characters that correspond, it's a bunch of icons. Oh, that's that totally relate. pointless. Just make it work better. Exactly. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's one minute's work to do that. Stop like, nerding around, I nerds. That was good. Stop nerding around. So the, the thing that I was wondering with um, with uh, the watch, just to circle back again, just briefly, is you know you were relating you were relating it to the Apple TV, and Apple famously called it, or Steve Jobs did that the Apple TV was a hobby uh, for a long time, and and neither you or I are totally satisfied with the fourth generation Apple TV. Like we both own them, I uh, you own one, right? You you have one, yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I I use it I use it all the time, and the TV app. Oh, we you know we didn't talk about it. The TV app after it was released very much. I think having the TV app on. The Apple TV, TVOS, Apple TV, TV app. It's very straightforward, you see. Um, <laughs> the TV app does make it better because some of the irritating navigation issues of dropping into an individual app that then loses its place, it goes away in the TV app. So I had something crash or I, I was exiting Hulu. And I was like, oh, I've got to navigate back. I go to Hulu and I'm like, oh, now I have to go through four different layers to get there. I go to the TV app and there is the thing I was just watching where I left it off in a list I selected it. I'm like, you just made my life better as a TV viewer. The TV app is great now, but then when Apple has its own TV service, the TV app's going to suck for everyone who doesn't subscribe to that service. You think that's what Apple dump, does now. They'll dump all the third parties. I well, think that oh, I think that like they'll Apple make Music. the experience like so much better Blah. for the people that give them money every month than for the people that Blah. just buy the hardware and want it to you know live up to its I, full potential. I just want a less bifurcated experience. I have Amazon. The Amazon TV app I have is on my Samsung TV. My Samsung TV also has a Netflix app. My Apple TV has a Netflix app that doesn't integrate with the TV app on the Apple TV. And I'm like, this is not, this is not good. Yeah. But, you know, it's business. Um, so my question is with the Apple, uh, with the Apple Watch is Apple seems to be winning in part by attrition. They own a big piece of the market. Some of the competitors are dropping out or changing business plans. And like with the Apple TV, you know, Apple TV didn't turn it. We still don't know how many units they sell, but it's not a significant source of Apple's revenue. And the question is, you know, does the Apple Watch remain this sort of slightly hobby thing that makes enough money? It's making more than the Apple TV, clearly, because the, the price point and what they're doing with it is it, it's more tightly integrated and so forth. Um, but will it just be like that? And then, you know, the Apple TV was essentially lapped by Google, Amazon, Roku, even other companies make TV boxes. I know even TV set makers like Samsung make TV boxes that are better or more well integrated or 
fit the need more for a consumer than an Apple TV, which still has kind of a funky approach. So it's possible, you know, other competitors will come in and uh, master the smartwatch space in a way that Apple hasn't, um, just does with the Apple TV. I mean, they have such an install base just because, like, so many people own iPhones that um, just being in the category is gonna is gonna be good because no, true. because if you have an iPhone and you're and you and you are interested in a smartwatch, either you're just gonna get a plain fitness band which works just as well with like you know iPhones and Android, or you're gonna get an Apple Watch. Like none of the Android Wear phones, while they work with an iPhone, the experience is gonna be you know just like the Apple Watch experience will be head and shoulders just because Apple controls the whole thing. So uh, so just being in the category, I think, I mean, like y- y- they might like really push it, but I don't yeah. know if they're going to need to. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, they, they looked at what people were using it for and it was fitness. So they're like, okay, let's work on making that experience better. Um, but then, yeah, like just being there, I think is going to be, is going to make them a leader just because their install, their potential install base is massive compared to all the other companies. It just depends on what people ultimately find a smartwatch useful for. And yeah. the integration has always been the thing is like, you know, we're talking about a wearables future, but we really have seen almost nothing besides fitness bands and, um, you know, maybe some heart monitors here and there that people use while running or biking and smartwatches. We have not seen the wearables market turn into anything useful yet that's not sort of gadgety. And as uh, as Parhad Banju wrote recently, gadgets are, you know, gadget apocalypse. Well, and besides fitness, Apple's doing the most with health. Like you have health kit, you true. have research kit, and those are like super innovative just on the software side. And the, the, the sensors that they put in the Apple Watch are just such a natural fit with that. So I think besides fitness, I mean, like there's just a big potential for like, as you know, with an aging population, just having wearable like health sensors and the Apple watch is, you know, kind of an elegant way to get some of that data where you don't feel like, you know, you're hooked up to some like ugly, like terrible piece of medical equipment. Mm -hmm. Like you've just got a smartwatch on, but it's like collecting all this really crucial data and feeding it to your doctors and your caregivers givers and, and 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 that's a huge potential for it so i think besides the fitness thing they they should stick around because uh, the the potential for health is so big and that's going to make a big difference in people's lives even if they don't sell millions of them like the people that have them are going to get so much out of them that it's it's good for them to be there even if it doesn't catch fire with just like you know joe smartphone no it's true i don't think apple's about to abandon a profitable uh line that's new also the the apple watch is doing fine for right. what it needs to be doing so it's not like they're selling a million units and wasting money um i, I ultimately think wearables disappear like the one thing about the smartwatch that you need as a as a notifications device right like that's if if you if you cut it down to the core function, it's something you can look at and it tells you the time. It relays a little information. It gives you stats and feedback about you know exercise and so forth. But I honestly think that it's at some level t- almost too complicated and that wearables will take off when they are simply part of clothes or you get up in the morning, you're a heart patient, you get up in the morning and you 
paste on with a removable thing, like a little thing over your heart that you don't even feel during the day. It's like a thin piece of, you know, flexible electronics that has a radio in it and you charge it overnight or it uses thermal based charging from your skin or whatever. And it's constantly relaying capturing information um, or it accumulates, you know, just enough information. My dad has one of burst. those, but it's still the size of an iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's big. And so the thing is, you'll get something that's small. I think wearable stuff, I think for medical stuff, especially be stuff you sort of paste on mm-hmm. or you attach, you put a cuff around you that's looks like a you know a bracelet as opposed to wearing like um, something that looks very much like technology the better technology becomes the more it disappears and recedes and you don't see it so um, there's that um, speaking of receding and not seeing it there's one other thing I want to talk about very briefly which is this uber tracking issue well I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the future but there is a concern uh, people are noticing that uber uh, seems to be tracking their whereabouts after they exited using the app and um, there's a question about whether they're working. There's a lot of disturbing things that come out of Uber. They just seem to make statements. Uber is the worst. I they, don't know why anyone uses them. They just aren't. I mean, my problem with Uber is I feel like uh, they either shade or go over the line of truth on a regular basis, and then they're caught out for it, and then they have to pay fines. They have to admit it. Like, they go into cities. They start operating without permission, violating local laws, and they claim they're not. Then they wind up working out a settlement, or then they get banned from a city. You know, it's just it's, – it's a very – unnecessarily aggressive approach but that's you know that's what it's the founder has always been like that it's kind of a bro company frankly um where it's it's the you know it's better to ask you know it's better to ask for forgiveness later than ask for permission except they never ask for forgiveness they don't really ask for forgiveness either so we have a situation in san francisco where they have unauthorized self-driving cars out there with human pilots going through red lights and they blame the human beings sort of um but this one is more specific where um the apple ever since apple added to ios the ability to do certain limited background uh, tasks um, when you exit an app, certain kinds of things can happen for typically, I think it is five minutes is the period. Uh, like it can finish a download. It can continue to track your location. There's apps that allow continuous background tracking, but you have to authorize them to do it. And then you'll be reminded on a regular basis. Do you get these reminders from time to time? Yeah, it says, yeah. yeah, something's been tracking you for a while. Do you want it to keep knowing your location? You could say no. Um, so the question was, is Uber retrieving this information and doing something with it when you are not using the app? From people's testing, it looks like it really does only persist for five minutes, and I'm not sure anyone's done the protocol testing to see whether the data is being sent back to Uber or the app is still tracking and then storing, like who knows, Um, but a few people have apparently already done the test to see, and after five minutes, it goes off, and there's other ways. You can use the the location in uh, settings in iOS uh, in uh, the privacy area. You can see under location whether or not an app has been tracking you in the last 24 hours. It shows um, it shows you – I forget the exact location as we're talking, of course. Um, but it shows oh, – I'm sorry. Yeah, it's under privacy, location services. Uh, any app that has tracked you in the last 24 hours has used location information shows a, a different kind of arrow next to it. So um, a gray arrow appears um, next to – it's per, – yeah, it's – Purple, if it's recently used it, gray if it's within the last 24 hours, and um, there's a, a purple outline for geofenced apps. So you can see if you go to the Uber app and you see a gray or purple arrow, then it has, you know, used your location either very recently or in the last 24 hours. Ostensibly, if Uber is bypassing that to get around Apple's API, that would be very bad and it would be hard to imagine because it's such a popularly used app that no security researcher or Apple had noticed this and tried to block it before. So this is not to defend uh, Uber's actions, but um, I'm not sure that it's as insidious um, 
as it sounded at first glance because of uh, how Apple restricts privacy. But we'll see. There will be more investigation of this, I'm sure, Susie. Yeah, they do. Um, they did a, an update today, and they actually mentioned that it's five minutes after the ride ends, and that will help identify pickup and drop-off points, and then help customer service if you ever need to contact us about a trip. But uh, so they they did put something in the show notes. I mean, in <laughs> the update notes, which is nice because like I hate those apps that don't put anything in the update notes. The the thing too is that uh, the most recent the, you know the report came out not very long ago about how even though Uber said it had restricted access to its um, systems so that only very few people could see where people were you know who was using whatever they're like you know ex employees are like eh, you know whatever. somebody p- people have been fired there were some chief security people and whatever been fired or left and said no nah, you know you can really anybody can still get access to most of it and there's not enough controls and too many people have permission and we were trying to get it changed and they wouldn't change it internally um the they most... were spying on like where their ex-boyfriends and girlfriends were oh, yeah, or where yeah. beyonce was yeah it's like i mean they had this thing called god view that they used to just kind of run that showed like where every uber was with names attached in manhattan and you could just see it i guess it was like running on a monitor or something um and they you know maybe have done away with that but um it's still um you know they know where you're at and the fact that they're so cavalier about it and then they say things that are contradicted by people who ostensibly have firsthand uh, information is problematic. So not to not to say don't use Uber. You can say that. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't use, use Uber. Them. I don't use them because I uh, don't live in a place where it makes sense. I have lots of public transport. But. So they're one of the major employers now. Like they just like put out a story. Oh yeah. Um, that was like more people get paid by Uber than any other company besides McDonald's and Walmart. But it's like that's not really something to brag about because they are actively trying to like obsolete their entire workforce. Well, and they also don't treat they're not employees. So saying they have no. the biggest workforce is like saying that, um, you know, Publishers Clearinghouse is the biggest workforce because we send stuff out to people and they fill out forms and send them back to us. Like, no, I'm, you know, it's still it's still uh, that's probably yeah. too harsh. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a the gig economy can be great, except that it seems to so far have mostly shaken out to not be good for the gig economy workers, only for the people who use the services. And the idea of the gig economy is not just that it could be peer-to-peer, but that it benefits people on both sides of the equation equally. And you have a mediator in between who takes some piece of the transaction and enables the technology, but doesn't necessarily control, you know, they shape things, they help with policies, but they don't necessarily, um, suck the value out. And I think Uber's model, based on their capitalization and um, how they squeeze on prices, they keep lowering prices to be able to try to squeeze out cabs and destroy markets they're in. They're trying to you know, actively destroy competing markets by pricing below sustainable levels for yeah. workers. You're um, only paying like 40% of the cost of your actual ride and the venture yeah. capitalists Doesn't are picking up sense. the rest. Doesn't and make they're, they're going to keep doing that until like they're the only yeah. option left. And so there's it's no just, winner. It's it means, messed up. You know, you yeah, as a, I don't you as a like rider are a winner until it, until they've destroyed the competition and they can reset the parameters. And frankly, you know, people initially talked about being an Uber or Lyft or other uh, on-demand driver as being a very positive thing because the rates were higher and so forth. But as more people have become drivers and as the rates have gone down um, and people's attitudes have shifted, you know, we're basically seeing it's not that cabs are great. Cabs have huge problems um, as a system and for feedback on performance and whatever. Um, but it's a whole whole different thing. So. Uber, gig economy, I've been seeing a lot of stuff that's being skeptical about whether the gig economy survives. And um, I've been uh, mixed opinion. I think things that are driven by um, by 
situations in which people on both sides of the equation have some amount of power, either as um, in terms of influence or marketing, Airbnb seems to me to be a much more sustainable version of the model because people have a physical asset. They have a home and or an apartment or whatever, and they have empty space in it. So there's the issue of Airbnb navigating local laws about short-term rentals when someone's not in the property and people buying buildings and converting them into you know Airbnb hotels in contravention of safety and law and so forth like that. But I think Airbnb still is putting the control in the hands of the host who gets to set a price. So Airbnb takes part of the transaction and they set rules, but they don't say you have to rent your apartment for $20 a night. They can't do that. They don't do that. It would fail if they did, where they can say to people, you have to, you know, the, the rate is $6 an hour for, you know, to drive someone around or your whole ride is going to cost 30 bucks, even though it costs you $20 in gas. That is, um, that is a different scenario. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wouldn't work for one car to charge different than another car. So, yeah, it's totally different. It's true. Well, you could have a freelance. You could have, you could have a bidding market. What, some people talked about. I when think Uber there was, was an app that did that. There was an app where, like, you told it where you wanted to go, and then there would be like a choice of like different like cars, and 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 they could like kind of bid on your ride, but if completely failed because well, that's a that's a giant mess well if you uber crush crushes competition like that because if they're that's always charging true. the lowest rate because they can because they're burning vc money yeah uh, well on that happy note folks it's been a delight to talk to you this year so happy to have you all as listeners and uh we love it when you talk back to us talk back to us uh so you know you can go to facebook.com slash macworld and find us and uh links to articles um, that we have. So you can comment on those if you're a Facebook user. If you're a Twitter user, you can find us on Twitter at Macworld. Of course, you can find Susie at SFSoos. That's S-F-S-O-O-Z, like Zed. You can find me at Glennf, G-L-E-N-N-F, like Frank. And uh, you can always send us mail, podcast at Macworld.com. We look forward to your feedback. We love having you as listeners. We love meeting you sometimes in person. We actually go out somewhere and we get to meet listeners at events. And, um, you know, just in general, I'd like to hear from you folks so we, we know that what we're talking about is something that you might be interested in. So please stay in touch. And um, and everybody, have a great and happy new year. Uh, 2016 was rough on everyone. Doesn't matter what political affiliation you were, which candidate you supported in America, or which initiative you supported uh, around the world in various countries. Um, this was a rough year. So Everybody take care of yourself, and um, we'll be back not next week, but in 2017. And Susie, it is a, a delight to podcast with you this year, as it has been in, in the previous year. And I hope you have a great new year. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah, happy holidays. Thank you very much. And uh, so, folks, you can find us. Uh, you'll find the next episode after episode 539, this one, for December 21st, 2016. You'll find us in the new year. And, uh, and thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you. Thank you.